And now, just gone two o'clock, we join Charles Hazelwood for this week's Discovering Music. Well, it's a great pleasure to be here today in St David's Hall in Cardiff with the, the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, their leader, Leslie Hatfield, and the organ soloist, David Good. Now, Francis Poulenc was one of a group of composers known loosely as Les Six, the Six, a group of musicians who drew their inspiration from Parisian folklore, from music hall, from circus bands, and from street musicians. And indeed, if you look at the bulk of Poulenc's output as a composer, you'll find it's full of a kind of a worldliness, a kind of jazz-tinged, slightly decadent, and at times very humorous kind of flavor. Ballets like Les Biches, operas like Les Mamelles de Tiresias, The Breasts of Tiresias, and his huge volume of extraordinary songs. Very strange then, considering this composer, the kind of man he seemed to be, the kind of artist he seemed to be, that he should choose in 1936 to write an organ concerto of all pieces, a form in music which was considered then very much as old-fashioned, as rather kind of archaic, and certainly very academic. But an organ concerto was what he chose to write for organ, strings, and timpani, specifically just a string orchestra, because Poulenc clearly felt that the organ in itself was a kind of wind instrument. Therefore, it would be disingenuous in some way, or at least somehow slightly wrong, to pit wind instruments against it. Now, look, there are two reasons, I think, why he chose to write this organ concerto. Firstly, in 1935, he'd witnessed the death of an incredibly close friend of his in a horrific car accident, which brought back to Poulenc a strong sense, a reawakening of his Roman Catholic faith, which, following the death of his father in about 1917, had waned. The other reason, of course, is that Poulenc was very strongly a neoclassical composer as well as everything else. And with this work, he kind of picks up where the great neoclassical Stravinsky works leave off, pieces like Pulcinella. The idea of looking at the great treasure trove of music of previous centuries, but looking at that material through dominantly 20th century spectacles. But as Poulenc said himself in a letter of 1936, this is not the amusing Poulenc of pieces like the Concerto for Two Pianos or Les Biches, but rather a Poulenc who is on his way to the cloister. A 15th century Poulenc, if you like. Of course, Poulenc also spoke of the looming Second World War, this is the late 30s, remember, as this horrible tornado. Perhaps, on some level, this piece is an attempt to create a tornado of beauty. Now, Poulenc never professed to be a great fan of Bach, even though Bach, of course, was the great master of the organ. But it's uncanny how the very opening bars, which are thundered out from the organ alone, are so very redolent of Bach's own G minor fantasy. I'm just going to ask David Good to play the first three bars, I think, of the Bach Fantasia, followed by the opening two bars of the Poulenc, just to feel that strong sense of family connection. Here's Poulenc's reawakening or reimagining of similar material. What you also hear in that music, above and beyond the connection to Bach's Fantasia in G minor, is the characteristic use of dotted rhythms, which is so much a feature of the French overture. Quick word about the structure of this work. Again, 
this sort of sense of neo-baroque, neo-classical spectacles that Poulenc has donned, essentially, in very bold terms, this piece is structured slow, fast, slow, very much as you'd expect from a great Baroque French overture. And obviously that is a very bold way of looking at it. There are actually many more sections, seven in total, which go essentially slow, fast, slow, fast, slow, fast, slow. Now immediately at that point where David stopped, the basses and the timpani of the orchestra join in. And I'm just going to play you four, the first four bars they have now. It's sort of an ostinato, an obstinate figure going round and round, literally just a G and a B flat, therefore a minor third, like a microcosm of a ground bass a ground bass being another favourite Baroque device, a kind of little motif, a tiny little melodic detail which circles round and round. Let me just show it to you. Now what happens over the top of that is a strange little sinewy theme in the organ, essentially based around broken chords. And a broken chord motif is going to be a fundamental piece of DNA through this entire work. Let me put them all together. and a restatement of the thundering opening neo-bark device. Now shortly after that we get music which Poulenc asks to be played très doux et intense, very softly and intensely. And it is very lush, a kind of nostalgic response to the organ's thundering opening. But of course already it's derived from the music that we already heard, that broken chord motif in the organ. Before I play the string orchestra, I just want to show the genesis of it and ask David Good to play the first couple of bars of the sinewy broken chord material again. Now, I'm just going to ask him to isolate the particular pitches which then form the basis of the theme we're about to play. So much of this piece is about disguising the essence of a theme in other clothes. Here it is, très doux et intense. Morgan's response to that is another variation based on the same broken chord figure, essentially upside down, in other words inverted. It's begun to sound now like plain chant, the chant for the day, just as a Parisian organ virtuoso in a, in a great Parisian church might improvise over the principal chant of the day at a high mass. It provides at least a kind of liquid contrast to the kind of sumptuous weight of the strings we just heard.
What a delicious chord that is, ladies and gentlemen. A diminished seventh chord, um, which I'll ask David to play now, but with one foreign body, one extra element, which is an added ninth. So here's the diminished seventh chord as it would be without the addition of the D. Here's the D. So even in the world of the organ, jazz is not far distant. Now, it's at this point that the cellos and basses have another kind of inversion, an upside-down version of our broken chord theme, preparing the ground for the climax to this first section. Let's play the upbeat to the third of three, please. Now here we get that tiny ground bass idea that the basses in the timpani had very near the start of the piece, amplified into a strident pesante. Now another gorgeous chord, ladies and gentlemen a particularly spicy way of getting us into the allegro, the first great allegro of the piece, marked allegro giocoso, so lively and with great jollity. Now I'm going to play you the first of two motives which occur in this section. Here in the first violins, it's light and angular. almost fairground-like, that music. Essentially, it's just a series of chromatic scales going up or down. It's already a long way from the music of the church. Now, that music is separated by scalic passages you'll hear on the organ. We'll play Tutti now from four. Now here we get another new texture, the violas and the cellos providing a throbbing B-flat major chord, harmonising those organ scales. Now you can hear some considerable form of dialogue breaking out between the organ and various parts of the string orchestra. He plays a scale, they answer it. Now the organ's scalic figure has now evolved into what is essentially a major seventh chord, the second primary motif of this allegro, and important to hang on to in your mind because again it's an idea that he returns to. Now a major seventh chord is something which is particularly and deliciously improper on an organ. 
As if Poulenc is trying gleefully to rub it in, he repeats it and repeats it, almost sacrilegious. Another thing you get a lot in this piece is a delight with butting up a minor chord against a major chord. Real kind of acidic juxtapositions. It's an idea that Poulenc loved, a very simple idea. And I think, again, he must have found it satisfyingly brash in the context, probably, of a church performance of this work. You know, it's the kind of thing that his parents' generation of musicians simply wouldn't have done. Now, a huge major seventh chord ends this section, but listen again to how it is tainted, literally, on the last semiquaver. Just hear the last bar of it from David Good. Dark and dirty. That then gets us straight into what is kind of the emotional core of this concerto, an andante moderato. Now, it majors on the organ to begin with. Listen out for a rare example of counterpoint in Poulenc. You may not know it, but Poulenc never had much in the way of formal musical education. He certainly never studied counterpoint or form. He kind of developed his own systems for those. In fact, there's a rather a lovely quote from him. He says, I have no system for writing music, thank God. By system, I mean contrivances. Deliberate dig at some of his more academic colleagues there. So, this is how the Andante begins. Another thing that you want to really enjoy, I think, whatever you feel about the organ, some people have mixed feelings about it, I think it's a wonderful instrument myself, and all too rarely in an orchestral context. And one of the great things that the organ can do, above and beyond any other instrument I can think of, is that it can simultaneously create more different colours. So, there's a certain point during this passage of the Andante, which you'll hear now, where the right hand has one colour, the left hand has another colour, and the pedal playing just on eight-foot stops, so actually at the same pitch as the, as the hands rather than octave lower, which is customary. The pedal has another colour again. Three colours for the price of one. Now at this point, taking a dotted motif idea from the Allegro, we get music in the violins. I'm going to show you, just remind you of that dotted rhythm from the Allegro as the starting point to this music. 
Now here it is, reimagined in the Andante. you can hear that dotted motif is passed again somewhat transformed to the organ another variation now still based on the same kind of arpeggio figure broken chord idea quite a light-hearted one certainly in the context of an organ concerto one would have thought in the first violins And the cello has a different figure, also starting with an arpeggio, which then does the same chromatic descent as was suggested in the first theme of the Allegro a lot earlier on. All well and good, but when I put it together with the first violins and with the rest of the orchestra, you'll hear Poulenc very deliberately souring the tonality F major here, by the way, with lots of flat notes in the cello. In other words, false relations. They're effectively blue notes, especially A flat against an F major chord, which of course is full of A naturals. Out of this lush lyricism, kind of easy lyricism, the organ has an ascending wrong note idea, which is not dissimilar to the one the cellos had before, swimming against the current, if you like, and creating blue notes along the way. And then you find very quickly other instruments take up this idea.
right at this moment, the organ becomes more fantasy-like in its ruminations, whilst the orchestra rack up the dark Gothic tension. What develops is a bracing and compelling texture. Let me just break it down for you. Firstly, we've got bald arpeggios, once again based around the initial ground bass idea, writ large here. Bald arpeggios in the cellos, the basses, and the pedals of the organ, which over time make their way up the chromatic scale. Then at the same time, we've got kind of Alberti figures, little kind of broken chord figures in the violas, the second violins, and also of a different order, but same idea, in the left hand of the organist. I'll put it all together now, and you hear a lovely kind of chromatic and sort of ensemid line in the right hand of the organ, just beating its way through that dark Gothic texture. And Poulenc's beloved major minor juxtaposition brings the andante to a close. That's followed by another allegro molto agitato section, which, David, particularly makes me think of Buxtehude's free-form fantasy compositions. Buxtehude, another composer of the Baroque era that Poulenc didn't ever express any great love for, and yet somehow... Once again, we find, and I know David agrees with me on this, a very strong family relationship, particularly with a, a, a Buxtehude G minor fantasia. Well, that's right. Um, the opening of the Buxtehude piece, and we don't, I think, know exactly whether Poulenc knew this piece, uh, but it's uncanny that the Buxtehude uh, prelude in G minor begins like this. Which, of course, calls to mind... And there's the same kind of thematic cross-referencing in Buxtehude's piece as there is in Poulenc's, uh, particularly between the different sections of the work, which, of which there are four. So that opening uh, movement also contains a pedal ostinato, which sounds like this. And that figure pretty much forms the basis when extended for the fugue which follows. And so on. The end of that theme is slightly new. But it in turn forms the basis for the next section which has a different pedal ostinato. Thank you. 
And for the final section, again a fugue, all those elements are put together. And so forth. So it's possible that in some way Poulenc was creating a complete Baroque fantasia uh, in the manner of the mighty North German composers whose music Bach studied himself. Well, let's hear a bit of Poulenc's own take on the fantasia. So following the free-form fantasy, there's then a slow section entitled Très Calme, almost devotional music, which is reminiscent of that central andante we were looking at earlier, but complete with ever more outrageously sensual harmonies. We almost reach Hollywood. Now the springboard into the final allegro section of Poulenc's organ concerto has the major minor conundrum once again with a deliberately unsatisfactory cadence. I'll ask David just to play these last four bars to illustrate that. And that catapults us into, as I say, this last allegro, which is where we've gone into an almost kind of hysterical fairground kind of situation. 
Many of you will remember that great film by Alfred Hitchcock called Strangers on a Train. And there is that nightmarish scene in and around the, the merry-go-round, the carousel, the big wheel, when she's about to be murdered. You just don't quite know when. This music is absolutely redolent of that. And I suppose at the same time, there's a sense of the kind of impending doom, that horrible tornado Poulenc described in the upcoming Second World War, which is very present in this material. It's hysterical in a burlesque way, but also hysterical in a kind of sense of sheer terror. At the same time, there are many, what we might call groovy elements. That ground bass idea the cellos and the basses have now starts to sound a bit like boogie-woogie, and we get the deliciously irreverent major seventh motif in the organ. Now, there's a variation shortly after that in the organ of the andante dotted rhythm you remember from earlier. Just to remind you of it, I'm going to ask the violins to play once again that material. Here it is then transformed in the organ in the allegro. An easy but very wonderful transformation of earlier material. Now there's one other hellish fairground effect still to come in this section. The organ and the violas in a hair-raising carousel call. That descending semitones idea has gone film noir. You could say the whirly gig of time brings in his revenges. And we've come full circle. And you realise that the structure of this neo-baroque work is really just like that French overture I was talking about at the beginning. Essentially, a slow motif or gesture, followed by a sequence of fast ones, and then ultimately the slow device coming back at the end. What follows that is a lush and intense foray-like coda, a plea for peace, perhaps, as the dark storm clouds of war gathered across Europe. First of all, let me just show you the deliciousness of this texture. It's actually a solo viola, accompanied, if you like, by the solo organ. A very exotic combination in this chant-like, ultra-devotional sounding melody.
Alex Thorndike, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm going to put it all together now, that exact same point. It's an instrumental prayer, crystalline in its orchestration. And so the piece darkens to the end, a final burst from the organ and a thundering unison to finish it from the orchestra. So in a way, this is one of Poulenc's most architecturally compelling works, perhaps because of its cyclical shape, the sense of the slow going to fast, coming back to slow. It draws the listener in and on, I think, from beginning to end. It is, as we discussed, a bit like a Baroque organ fantasia in its alternation of moods and the free development of ideas, but also, I think, quite like maybe a Liszt symphonic poem. Despite the Baroque gestures, this concerto is essentially romantic in spirit, as you will have heard. So Poulenc runs the gamut from Baroque rigor to a kind of reticent religiosity, with room for a little burlesque along the way, and, as I've said, an unmistakable rising panic at what lay just around the corner in 1939. Time for some questions. Do you think it's uh, surprising, perhaps, that uh, there are great similarities in contrasts uh, in this piece and in Shostakovich? Whereas, because you have that uh, you described as a tornado of beauty, um, terror and burlesque uh, coming together, uh, with tremendous passages of uh, emotional beauty. And of course, they are both responding, as you explained, uh, to internal and external aspects of uh, very terrifying situations. I think it's a really interesting parallel you draw. I never thought of the Shostakovich Poulenc parallel. Certainly, so much of Shostakovich's music is written out of a kind of sheer terror. But at the same time, there's, uh, there's another link with him and Poulenc that uh, so much of Shostakovich's music is about hidden messages and at times jokes at the expense of someone, be it Stalin or someone else, hidden deep within the music. Now Poulenc's jokes are not quite so loaded as that because they're not usually aimed at any great despot like a Stalin um, and they're much no nearer the surface as a result. That being said, of course, there was the horror of the Second War which was an equivalent terror to Poulenc and his contemporaries as Stalin was to Shostakovich and his. Well, without further ado, David Good, the BBC National Orchestra Wales leader, Leslie Hatfield, and I will now perform Poulenc's organ concerto in G minor. <laughs> 